Bonucci. Welcome to Cinema Italiano, the podcast dedicated to the Italian experience as told by film. Today, we'll be talking about Ferzan Ospetek's 2017 film, Naples in Veils, or Napoli Velata. First, as a few news items, the David D. Donatello Awards were just held on May 10th, 2023. The big winners of the night were The Eight Mountains, whose wins included Best Film and Best Adapted Screenplay, Esterno Notte, or Exterior Night, which won for Best Director and Best Actor, and La Stranezza, or Strangeness, which won for Best Producer, Best Original Screenplay, and more. I posted a list of the winners and nominees, as well as where you can see the nominated films here in the United States. Most of the films still aren't available here, but I do keep this list updated. In fact, just a couple days ago, the film La Mencita, directed by Emanuele Crialese, just became available for pre-order on iTunes and Apple TV. The Eight Mountains is also continuing its theatrical rollout as it expands across North America. In fact, speaking of The Eight Mountains, it was announced that the Criterion Collection will partner with Janus Films, who's theatrically distributing The Eight Mountains, to kick off a new line of home video editions for their first run releases following their streaming premieres on the Criterion channel. The 2023 slate of releases, including The Eight Mountains, will be released later this fall. I'm hopeful that The Eight Mountains will still get a meaty home video release that it would have gotten as part of the regular Criterion Collection series, because there's just so much to unpack about that movie, and it will absolutely become an episode of this podcast further down the road. I also recently posted a review of Salvatore Mereu's film, Ben 2, which was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay at the David D. Donatello Awards this year. Following his layered, narrative-driven Asandira, which was also set in the changing agricultural landscape of Sardinia, Ben 2 is a neorealist drama following Raffaele, an elderly grain farmer, and the 10-year-old Angelino as they prepare for the wheat harvest. It's a low-key story requiring a bit of patience from its audience, but it goes on to deliver a startling, memorable conclusion. On to our main topic, Ferzan Ospetek's Naples in Veils. As a quick plot summary, Adriana is a middle-aged medical examiner performing autopsies, and her social circle is one of intellectual and artistic society. Her aunt Adele hosts parties with performance art, and the guests include actors, musicians, art dealers, and archaeologists. One night, Adriana crosses paths with the younger man, Andrea, and they spend the night together. They agree to meet the next day, but he never shows up. Shortly after, when performing an autopsy, Adriana finds that who's on the mortuary table is none other than Andrea, who's been brutally murdered. A police investigation kicks off, and Adriana, disturbed by the grisly death of someone who she suddenly fell hard for, runs into a man who looks exactly like Andrea, his long-lost twin, Luca, who came to Naples to finally meet Andrea for the first time. Adriana takes him under her wing and doesn't reveal that she's hiding him in her apartment without knowing who in her life she can trust. 
As the investigation continues, she learns that Andrea had taken photos of her without her consent and that he was mixed up in art smuggling. One of the police inspectors shares that Andrea had made a duplicate of an ancient mask and that the original has gone missing, his murder being punishment for, quote, polluting the art world. It's implied to the audience that Ludovica and Valeria, who are two art dealers in Adriana's social circles, are the ones behind it, but the police never catch wind of it and they are never caught. In fact, the story in and of itself doesn't fully resolve. Adriana comes to terms with the death of Andrea and finds a new chapter of happiness with Antonio, one of the police inspectors, but the murder remains officially unsolved. In fact, the last shot of the film shows Adriana walking from the Piazza del Gesù Nuovo in Naples, turning a corner, and as the camera catches up, she's vanished. As a mystery film, so much of the narrative and tone is one of mysticism and unknowability. It's been compared to vertigo with almost supernatural elements, doubles, and an overall sense of dizziness and getting lost in the story. Much of the camera work feels as though it's drifting or gliding through a scene. There's a memorable sequence towards the film's climax where a past revelation is told. Throughout all this, the camera pans around a parlor, stopping to look at an armchair, to admire a painting, to gaze through a doorway, then return back to our main characters, all within one shot. The camera has a deliberate point of view, as if it were a ghost or spirit exploring and examining the space, moving smoothly, without breaks, and just floating around. Also like Vertigo, a major element in this movie is the idea of doubles with a resurrection of the dead. Andrea's death occurs early on in the film, and his place is taken by Luca, who starts out as a meeker, milder version of his twin, only to become possessive and borderline abusive of Adriana. Her relationship to Luca starts out as one of protector, almost a combination of mother and lover. She hides him in her home, cooks for him, even goes shopping for him. It's as though she's playing the role for Luca that she wishes she had for Andrea. If she had taken Andrea under her wing, could she have prevented his murder? On the other side, as she develops a relationship albeit a non-physical, initially platonic one, with the police inspector, Antonio, Luca grows jealous and judgmental of her new connection. As a piece of her psyche, is this her sense of guilt that she's somehow betraying or moving on past Andrea? Rejecting the passionate, brief fling that she has with Andrea to a more steady, emotional romance that she has with Antonio. The doubling also takes place outside of our contemporary setting of 2017. Giovanna Mezzogiorno, the actress who plays Adriana, also plays her mother, Isabella, in flashbacks. Of course, Adriana as an adult would look like how her mother looks, but history also repeats itself between generations. Adriana's father, Domenico, is first with Adele, and then leaves her for and marries Adele's sister, Isabella, but as Isabella's mental state grows more jealous and desperate, Domenico is pushed back together with Adele. He's going from one sibling to the next, just as his daughter, Adriana, will eventually do between Andrea and Luca. 
In fact, in flashback, Isabella even uses the same words that Luca uses. If Domenico leaves, she'll do something crazy, and Luca says the same thing to Adriana. The omnipresence of death, whether as ghosts, memories, or lingering secrets, is in the very backbone of this film. Adriana's job, as medical examiner, is to conduct autopsies, and death is part of her everyday life. In a somewhat clunky line, the son of Antonio, Giovanni, asks Adriana if the dead can wake up. Giovanni is about 10 years old, so he's probably old enough to know the answer to that. But the question does chill Adriana as she is grappling with the ghost twin of Andrea. And most of the careers of her social circle, art dealers, archaeologists, performers, involve the revisiting, reviving, and reinterpreting of works created by artists long since past. The ancient rituals, classical artwork, and centuries-old buildings still experienced today are the legacies of the departed occupied today by the living. Their professional lives are devoted to uncovering the past, tying back to the concept of the veil, and what one can see beyond it, but what is still concealed and never fully revealed. One of the earliest scenes includes a performance of the Feminielli, people of a third gender role within traditional Neapolitan culture. The performance is narrated by, presumably, a biologically born man, wearing makeup and in a wig with curls, but who appears to be pregnant. He stands in front of a bed where another biological man is in the midst of giving birth, surrounded by others who are breathing rhythmically, all in unison, leading up to the delivery of a child. And from their dress alone, they look to be in classical Roman garb, hearkening back to an ancient, eternal tradition. The Feminielli could include those who are, in today's terms, transgender women or gay cisgender men, but the term more broadly refers to the transformation of oneself and being able to encompass both binary gender roles. In a piece called The Third Sex in Theater by Massimo Roberto Beato, containing both genders in one represents diversity and can be taken as a metaphor for Naples itself with its, quote, mysteries and contradictions. There are two souls of the city, the sunny and colorful and the dark and secretive one. There is a duality and a binary within one unit. A clear example of this shift between two Naples occurs as Adriana leaves the museum, walking through the gallery, stopping to look at sensual statues and paintings to think back on her night with Andrea. She ties back to specific memories and perhaps romanticizes or fixates on the physical aspect of their relationship. That's the afterglow she's coasting on in an idealized version of Andrea, intercut with classical statues. This fantasy comes winding down as she gives up on meeting him at the museum and crosses the street into a dirty, graffiti-filled walkway with a homeless person sleeping in the background. The opulent, romantic fantasy she's been wafting in at the museum is gone, and she's gone back to reality. In addition to this dichotomy, the depiction of Naples within this film is a rich, deeply layered representation that's somewhat a response to how Naples at that time was largely being portrayed. Filmed in 2017, Naples and Veils 
is from the era of Gomorrah, a hugely popular movie and TV series, which in turn spawned other depictions of Naples as a crime-filled gang world. Not that there isn't truth to that side of the city, but director Ferzan Ospetek wanted to instead highlight a different layer of Naples, different from the image that had become so ingrained in contemporary culture. The Naples of this film is one of an educated, mostly artistic elite, taking place largely within museums and salons with bourgeois lead characters and settings. It's got its share of crimes, with a murder at its core, but even here all the murderers are women, and while the institution, the art world, is less formally institutionalized than the mob families of Gomorrah, it is still impenetrable and somewhat invisible. To run down just some of the locations used in this film, first we have the Palazzo Managuolo, whose interior is used for the opening shot and scene of the film that we then later return to in a flashback. The composition of the opening image is of the spiral staircase within the palazzo. It's shaped like an oval or eye and slowly spins around, creating a dizzying effect, and then adjusts to a more standard 90 degree sight line. In addition to the spiral staircase and this sort of vertigo effect it creates, the railing wrapping around the stairs comes out almost like a Fibonacci sequence on a seashell. It wraps around and has a spinning, almost infinite image. There's an implied space and a mystery beyond just what we can perceive. Another setting is the National Archaeological Museum of Naples. The museum is filled with ancient Roman artifacts, including many from Pompeii, which is close by to Naples. In particular, where the two are supposed to meet is called the Secret Cabinet, which is a section filled with erotic art and statues and is accessible only to adults. Walking through here and seeing these types of statues, Adriana is reminded of and has flashbacks to Andrea and the night that they had spent together. Another memorable location is the Neapolitan Hospital for Incurables. This is where Pasquale, an actor friend of Adriana, gives a tour of this ancient hospital complex. Some of the specific details he points out are little figures in the ceiling of angels in veils staged in the anteroom, reflecting the arcane and ancient, making room for modern science that the hospital reflects. Again, it's that combination with the ancient with the contemporary. And perhaps the most deliberate locale is that of the San Savero Chapel. This is where a ceremony towards the end of the film is held and where the veiled Christ statue is. This chapel is filled with art, including several wearing veils or with nets on them. The veiled Christ statue in particular is what inspired the name of this film. The statue is called Cristo Velato, or Veiled Christ, and the Italian name of this film is Napoli Velata, Veiled Naples. The statue was made by Giuseppe San Martino and depicts Christ after the crucifixion covered by a veil. It's an incredible artistic achievement with such a level of delicate detail, and it inspired many legends, including that the veil itself was not actually part of the same block of marble as the statue, but was instead an actual veil placed over the completed statue and then transformed into marble through alchemy. That in itself has been proven to be a myth, but you know, adding to the sense of mystery within the film, it adds to the many legends kind of packed within this narrative. The use of so many real-life locations and the characters' natural integrations into these spaces add to the film's connection of the past with the present. 
in a very contemporary setting with cell phones, subways, advertising. Adriana and her social circle are firmly entrenched in the past, whether through the ancient, medieval, or Baroque. In addition to the Feminielli, Naples and Veils has quite a bit of queer representation. Much of Adriana's social group, including her good friend Pasquale, is openly gay, with no sign of oppression or negative consequences for being who he is. It also turns out that a girlfriend, Catena, has previously hooked up with Andrea. While she and Adriana talk about him, Adriana admits that she feels the age gap between the two, to which Catena asks, why is she hung up on age or gender at all? She says, why care if someone likes you, male or female? The open-mindedness and overall non-issue around sexual orientation also fills this duality between the modern and the ancient. Ancient Rome did not have labels of sexual orientation, and today, for many, the breaking down of labels is a sign of progression and a step to equality. What feels a little backwards are the two lesbian characters, Ludovica and Valeria, who feel like a callback to classical, coded Hollywood where the only lesbian characters were always sinister and their goal was to ruin things for the straight characters. These two are no exception and are always filmed in the same shot, side by side, and in one scene even do a goofy dance with an ancient mask, revealing that they were involved in the murder of Andrea. Perhaps we'll never have full equality until we have murderous lesbians, but the flatness of their characters, they really only exist to be evil, is an inadvertent throwback to misguided queer representations of the past. Naples and Veils opened in Italy in December 2017 to number four at the box office. It was ranked just below another Italian debut, like a cat on a highway. It was a decent domestic hit, becoming the number four top box office grossing Italian film within Italy for 2018. It also went on to win the David E. Donatello Awards for Best Cinematography and Best Art Direction, as well as earning nominations for its direction, acting, and more. Naples and Veils is a very sleek, engaging thriller. The on-location shooting in Naples, in particular, is really fun to see. Some critics refer to this as a contemporary film noir, for which it does have a few qualities in common. It's structured in media res, where it starts at the end with a shooting that it then revisits in the film's climax. Plus, the world we're plunged into is also one of confusion and disorder, where not everything is fully revealed and questions go unanswered. A quality that I'd argue keeps it out of film noir, though, is that the main character, Adriana, doesn't fit the anti-hero type. Even if she makes questionable decisions here and there, we never for a moment think that she's the killer or that she's even a bad person. I'd compare it more to the sophisticated thrillers of Alfred Hitchcock or Brian De Palma, as these densely layered, stylistic dramas placing ordinary people into these high-stakes situations.
As always, thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your choice of podcast platform. You can also follow this show on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Until next time, ciao amici.